Speaking of, it's been really weird in London, Steve. Yeah, the Lord, this the Lord Chancellor, week. Emperor Palpatine has taken over. Yeah, and no one saw it coming is the thing. <laughs> no one saw Boris. <laughs> he just came out of left field. Everyone, everyone, all the bookies, everyone I, mean, I chatted to, it was like David Attenborough is going to be pre- pre- Prime Minister. President. president, president of I the, nearly said president. President of the United Kingdom. He's going to be the new president. <laughs> well, I for one, I mean, I was surprised. I didn't even think Boris wanted to be the president of the Empire of Britain. That's the thing. He's been so quiet about it. So now, he's normally chill. a quiet man in general, mm-hmm. but he's been even more quiet yeah. about the whole yeah. Prime Minister thing. Yeah. Um. But people aren't happy. It doesn't sound like it. People are protesting like crazy. Which number did you get for the official um, subjects to give the president of the empire a blowjob? Are you like high or low? Oh, um, uh, BJ's BJ's. Yeah, yeah. BJ, BJ for BJ's. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, so I got 69. So at first I was like, nice. <laughs> that's, that's fun. But then now I'm thinking, does that involve something else? Does the 69th person BJ's well, BJ's which- have to... Richie, are you implying that, I mean, so you're going to have to receive as well as give and that makes it worse? <laughs> I'm afraid to think about it anymore, Steve. Are you, we've made Hercules cry in the background. <laughs> oh, is Hercules there? Yeah, he's chewing his paw over on the couch. Oh. He, like, he, he likes to chew his paw and then as he's chewing his paw, he whines, but that makes you think he doesn't like it. But then when you try and stop him, he's like, no, no, I'm in the middle of something here. No, these are good whines. <laughs> These are wines of pleasure. <laughs> Not in this context. Uh, that's a good cold open. Oh, no, well, actually, no, we got another one. Um, remember you talked about tantric sex in the last episode? Yes, remember, I do. Remember, I, I probably specifically mentioned my mother doesn't listen to this, so I'm fine. <laughs> Go on. She decided to show off her son's project to my uh, six-year-old nephew as she was driving him back from The Lion King. <laughs> So she was driving through uh, the Gap of Barnesmore, if anybody knows Donegal quite well. And she's like, oh, listen. Like the Gap of Barnesmore is also a tantric sex thing, but go on. <laughs> and, uh, oh God, it's so wide. <laughs> and um, she she was like, oh, let's listen to the Steve's podcast. What's a podcast? Oh, it's like a radio show. Oh, okay. And so she put it on and then. It's about politics and just politics. <laughs> and then, so tantric sex. What? She like tried to slam off the thing and nearly crashed the car. So we we nearly murdered my mother and my young cousin. Oh god, that would have been a that would have been a weird eulogy to give. Well, we wouldn't have known how they went. It would have been That's a mysterious true. crash. But you'd definitely know they would have come back as ghosts because they had unfinished business. Oh god, they want to find out more about tantric sex. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the kid does. <laughs> bright future ahead of that kid he, he knows things he's seen things things you wouldn't believe oh Rutger Hauer died quite sad oh anyway yes cold up and done <laughs> I've just about finished editing this interview and it's one of my faves oh yeah yeah so just set, just letting you know this is a good one Good. I, yeah. I feel proud and happy. Yeah. And I hope the listeners will justify that feeling with good listening efforts. Two and a half years we've been podcasting, still don't have the vocabulary <laughs> down. <laughs> I can talk about how bad we are. I can't talk about us being good. Yeah. That, yeah. But this time we're good. This time we're, we're all right. This time we're doing... Well, Razan is great. Razan <laughs> is excellent. Razan Ibrahim, journalist from Syria, who's been living in Ireland for quite a while now, has mm-hmm. been covering the conflict. And uh, she was very kind to grant us an interview. And she was also very kind to explain the conflict in minute detail. Yeah. And also, like it's this is this is like old school WAP. This is what like I think we originally set the podcast up to be about, like explaining something that's very, very complex, kind of starting from the ground up and doing it in a very careful way. Yeah. And one that's very cognizant of like the the like she she has some great stories from there, great first hand stories. It doesn't it didn't just read like a really sterile news account. She had wonderful evocative imagery of a pre conflict Syria. Yeah. That like really set lovely groundwork for the whole chat. Yeah. But we won't we won't give any spoilers, but Syria sounded like a great place before this terrible war. Yeah. And I think I, I can't remember if we do call it out about how little it's been in the forefront of the news for the last couple of years, even though like essentially it's still a raging conflict. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of days after we recorded, it was on the front of the BBC News saying, Don't forget about Syria. Yeah. I think a hundred people had died. A hundred civilians have been killed in the conflict over a week. Do you think so, it's just people get numb to 
hearing like consistently the same kind of stuff coming from out there and just lose interest. Yes, it's that and a com- combination with all the other shit that's going on in the Western world that yeah. has topped it. So Brexit and Trump um, yeah. is part of the reason why we're not talking enough about Syria. Yeah. But then also, as you will hear in the interview, we're, we're not really sure what to do about it as well. So you can only talk about a problem for so long without solutions. So. That's, a good, that's a very good point, Steve. Yeah. That's a very good point. But anyway, that's enough ado up top. Let's get into the interview. Let's do it. So we are live in the studio, live recording, live, going live. <laughs> live, in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> uh, I'll add in applause here. <laughs> Um, we have Razan, and she is a fantastic person, a journalist based in <laughs> Dublin you. from Syria who has been covering the conflict for Storyful for how many years now? Uh, since two th- 2015. 2015. Yeah. So, Richie, I'm pretty sure we've this, this is one of the topics that we've mentioned so many times saying we're going to do an episode on that soon. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, one of, it's again one of those topics where we, we need a steady set of hands to guide us through it. Because as you'll see when we get into the episode, there's a, there's a, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Say least. I, I, I don't think it was easy for you as well to get the questions uh, to cover what happened yeah. from the start till now. Exactly. I think it's really challenging. It's it, it even, yeah, coming up to the prep for this thing, we, like Richie was talking, we were like discussing the questions and it's like, what about this and what about that? And we're like, oh, like what are the, every single question just opens up four more questions yeah. almost. Yeah, or, it's like, okay, we're going to start here. But in order to start there, you need to know this part. <laughs> yeah. Take a couple of steps back. But even to know that part, you need to step back again and so on and so forth. So we're going to start with the big bang. Yes. <laughs> we'll try... There will be some levity because that's our style, but obviously this is a serious topic, so we will try our best to be as serious as we can. Serious face, Richie. Yes. And we'll try as well to make it as simple as possible. That's exactly So it. for for everybody to understand what is happening yes. and what happened and yeah. what's going to happen in the future. Yes. So needless to say, there probably won't be anybody listening that isn't aware that there is a conflict mm, going on in Syria. Yeah. There has been for an awful mm. long time. We're going to do a primary school level crash course yeah. on it. So pretend we're just eight to nine to ten year olds. <laughs> we want to know... Like, where is Syria? What countries are around it? Like, how big is it? Likes, dislikes, star signs, all that stuff. So, yeah, how big is it and what kind of population did it have? I guess. Let's start from what it was like before the conflict. What kind of a country was it? Yeah. So, um, Syria is around 21 to 22 million um, living uh, like on this land. Um, it is pretty good in terms of size. Mm-hmm. So, we, we are like around... Um, um, 185,000 kilometers square. And I think it's almost double size um, of Ireland. That's a good reference point too, yeah. Ireland. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, and it is actually in a very strategic location mm. in, in, in the region. Um, it's uh, like the, the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, Turkey from the north, mm-hmm. uh, Iraq from the east, and then we have Jordan and yeah, from the south, then we have occupied territories from Israel on the west, on the west uh, south, Is and that then the Golan Heights. Exactly. The Irish listeners might be aware of that because I believe Irish peacekeepers have been based there mm-hmm. for quite yeah, a long time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, actually, I met many people. They were like many peacekeepers. Mm. They are now in Ireland, Irish but they have been mm, uh, many there. times. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, Lebanon as well from the West and the Mediterranean as well. Do they border like Iran the in the Northeast? We don't have no. borders with Iran. Okay. Iraq is in the middle between uh, Iran and Syria. Um, so um, it is Republic. Mm-hmm. And the um, city, uh, like we are part of or, uh, international and global organizations like Mainly United Nations. That would be our maybe mm-hmm. m- like more public and more global stage, mm. international stage. Uh, so it is Republic. We have the um, like this, the um, I'd say political system is president, then uh, prime minister, and then we have the parliament. Mm. So these are the three okay. like main aspects of the political life uh, and political system in Syria. So can we ask for clarification here? Is it a republic like Ireland is a republic? Uh, yes, or in, France. On paper. Exactly, yeah. on paper, because in Syria, it's it's maybe people to know we have never had elections. We've had referendums, but uh, elections, it, it we have never had it in right. our history. So it's even like before, even from the 1948, uh, from our independence from France till today, um, we it was mainly um, 
uh, like um, coup, military coup, mm. and referendums. Mm. But we've never had um, a time where where there were two or three people running for presidency. Mm-hmm. So we've never had it. But we had kind of free elections in terms of the parliament in the 1950s. That was, I'd say, the highlight of democracy in Syria, although it was mainly as well military coup. But that stage was the highlight of democracy in Syria um, in 1950s. So if there is, a, a, how, how do changes within the parliament or the presidency happen then? Without, without elections? Are people just phased in and out based on the, the will of the people who are currently in power? It's uh, mainly um, like the coup would start and would happen. And then uh, the person who will get in charge of the country to make themselves legit mm. to the people, they don't run for a presidency, but they do a referendum mm. in general. And that would put them, they have kind of uh, legitimacy. Right, but the referendum... They're not going to lose that referendum when they hold it, are they? It didn't happen. No. Nobody lost it. <laughs> um, so who are, who's the family that's in charge now, the Assads? When did they come to power? In 1970s. Uh, that was the first uh, 1971. This is when uh, the family uh, mm. started uh, in, in Syria. And uh, since then, uh, the uh, Assad, uh, Hafez al-Assad, the, the father, and now the son, Bashar al-Assad, are still um, in control. So p- people were hopeful for reform, but reform didn't come too quickly. And then kind of, I guess, as Bashar al-Assad was coming to term with his power, the, the Arab Spring kind of started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he didn't turn out to be very welcoming for bringing in reforms. I mean, not only him. I think all uh, presidents mm. and and rulers of the region across Arab countries were not welcoming because that is a huge threat mm. to their positions and to their to their power. So, like when it it happened in Syria, um, especially at the start of it, people didn't even demand for regime change or government change at the start. The protests were uh, demanding mainly reformation, uh, more rights, um, dignity, um, expressing opinion, and then keeping like under the government. You know, at the start, that, that was the main demand from the people. And the, the issue here, we didn't see a positive response from the government. Mm. So the government has one main decision. These shouldn't continue. Mm. And that's definitely like was shocking for a lot of people and a lot of Syrians when we see that this is decision that these peaceful shouldn't continue. This should be stopped. So it was people protesting um, in the streets and then the response by the government was force. Absolutely. And and when the protests started, they were across Syrians, across Syria and mm. and from different religion, different ethnicities, different political perspectives and, and ideas. So it was across everybody and like it was it was like overwhelming that there there is certain things we want. We don't want more this is a basic of a human rights. So when you say that the, the government responded with force, do we have specific examples that kind of Absolutely. show the, the, the strength? Absolutely. And we can start from the first example from Dara, the first uh, um, Syrian city where the protest started. And it was based on um, school children writing graffiti on the school uh, walls. And this is this, the, like the spark, what made it like start. Uh, and these students were put in prison, for example. And then more protests started in Dara and then the um, Syrian government responded with gunfire. People were holding flowers and they were responded with gunfire. Wow. So these kind of things shocked mm. the people and and but they still were peaceful. Peaceful protests continued at that time because there was a message they wanted to send to the Syrian government that we don't want war. We don't want to start a fight. We don't want a civil war. We want just these basic demands. And what year was this? Um, that was 2011. Okay. Um, we've, kind of, we've skipped forward a little bit just to, to give people an idea. What was life like for an ordinary person in Syria before this? So 
you didn't have political freedom or the freedom to express yourself, but what in terms of could you get a job? Could you raise a family? Was it for or was it different for different people? Um, it is different, definitely from different people. However, uh, Syria was kind of open culture and um, like really, really inclusive culture as well. Um, um, really good relation between people, between cities, between religion in general. And in terms of work, there is there is a lot of small businesses in Syria, like shops, I'd say um, farms, agriculture. It's a huge in Syria, for example, mainly cotton, wheat. Um, this is like a huge uh, in Syria. Clothes industry as well is big in Syria. So there were actually, even in Aleppo, uh, they were the biggest clothes companies and, and factories in, in the entire region. So they were exporting to whole the world. And I remember when I, one of the stories like that was, I'd say maybe 15 years ago, a friend of mine, uh, she bought beautiful scarf. And I was like, wow, look, I bought it from England and I bought it for 200, 200 pounds. Look how beautiful it's English. And when I looked at actually the label, made in Syria. Made in Syria. <laughs> so how much would that have cost in Syria? Uh, no, it will be maybe, I'd say 20, you know. <laughs> wow, so, yeah, absolutely. So what I mean that it was like really kind of um, small businesses, small economies where progressive and good, of course, not enough, but they were positive. However, the biggest um, kind of companies were in the hand of the government and the people with the government. So these kind of you can't touch, but small businesses, people like actually Syrians are really good at business, really? you know, in general, really good. In, in Like they create uh, something from nothing. Is it true you had plans to go home and set up a business Absolutely. at a language school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my main, my main, um, like I'd say dream. That's why I came to Ireland mm. to finish my studies and then go back home and set up my own language school. And I wanted to get certification from Ireland. Mm. So, so like when I do the business, I know like I'm like trusted business uh, and, and like experienced and knowledgeable about what we are doing and etc. So that was one of my things I wanted to do. But and it was perfectly it realistic um, for a young woman to go back and set up a business. Um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, so. like definitely. Like, um, like especially I want to like really highlight Syrian women. Syrian women are really strong women and very clever and they are fighting the patriarchy and patriarchal system. And it is maybe not very obvious, but slowly, slowly they are doing that. And the change is not very fast, like we can see it in Ireland now or in other, in other countries. But Syrian women are really progressive and mm. honestly, without any discrimination, I think they are braver than Syrian men and they are stronger than Syrian men. And this is maybe we can ex explain more when I was in Greece. I, I witnessed that, you know. So they are like really, you can see very strong, successful women in Syria. And if you go as well to see the artistic part, when the leading artists and singers, for example, and actresses are actually women. You know, so they they are like really progressive and strong and they are trying to change. The change, as I said, it's slow, but it is going forward. Mm. So unfortunately, we'll go back to the conflict. <laughs> um, we, sorry, even before we oh. go back to the conflict, we want to talk about, um, again, exploring more of the DNA mm. of pre-conflict Syria, talk about the different subgroups. Absolutely. Because, you know, the term Syrian is broad, but there's lots of stuff within different it. religions. It's not all just... Muslim, per se. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. no. I mean, uh, Syria is extremely diverse and people living in Syria, they've been living there for not only 100, 200 or 1,000, seven to 8,000 years. The cradle and of civilization, Exactly, possibly, yeah. yeah. It's just really ancient place and, and we have like really big spectrum and the, like I always say that fabric of mosaic in, in like the fabric of the Syrian society is like a piece of mosaic um, mm. different religion and ethnicities like Muslims um, uh, Christians then we have uh, different Sunnis Shias Alawites Druze Ismailiyin Yazidis then Assyrians for example Assyrians are the first people living mm. on in Syria so, and then we have Armenians community. Maybe few people would know that in 19, in, in the early 1900s, the genocide against Armenians yeah. 
where did Armenian go? They, they went to Aleppo mm. and Aleppo was the first place where they settled and they still live till today. If you go, they still have their own shops, their own businesses, their own houses in Latakia and in Damascus and other places. So they, they, we have big Armenian community in Syria and Israeli Greek community. So, for example, on the Mediterranean, we have beautiful town called Hamidia and Hamidia is mainly um, people from Crete Island. They came to Syria and they still speak Greek. Hmm. So it is beautiful diverse diversity and and it just it's very important to mention that we've never ever in our like like I'd say modern history we've never had problems between each other we've always lived in harmony and when I was like I'll give you an example like for example when we when we have friends we never ask we, we don't know what religion they were we don't know what ethnicity it doesn't come to our mind that we have to ask or we have to know. Second, there is a big community of atheists and they are actually, I believe, it's they are the second maybe biggest minority in mm. Syria oh, and wow. they are from across the, across religion. So they are liberal and, and they don't think they have religion, but still they have, for example, myself, um, I, don't, I don't think I have religion, but I love the Islamic culture I have and I love the Christian culture I have, the Assyrian, the Armenian. They are all make you Syrian. You know, it's not only one aspect. But as I said, that the liberals, the secularism in Syria is a huge stream. And uh, and I, th I don't I think we should mention it because it's away from any religion or ethnicity. It's just the way set of mind and, and thoughts. But. It's always as well to, to confirm and to, to assure that we've always lived in really harmony with each other. And, and like you could live in a building where, where your neighbor is um, Christian or Muslim or Sunni or Shia and we never cared. Mm. And this is one of the unique places in the Middle East mm -hmm. before the war when we didn't have it. You've painted such a beautiful I picture hate what, I hate what of a pre-conflict Syria. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm dreading now what we're actually about to change gears into. So, before we hone in on, on the actual conflict in Syria, we did mention the Arab Spring. So what, what happened in Syria didn't happen in isolation. There was there was revolutions and protests going on all across Northeast, uh, the Middle East and, and North Africa. And it was called the Arab Spring. Um, I mentioned to you before, Rosanne, that was actually what was going on when I was just starting to study international relations. So it was kind of it was like super interesting, and everyone was kind of hoping that the power of Facebook would allow these dictators across the region to get toppled. It did happen in some places, um, I think Tunisia and Morocco, and eventually Algeria. He finally left. Um, Egypt flipped, but then flipped back, and in other places like Iran. I don't even think they bothered in Saudi in Saudi Arabia, but in and Bahrain there was protests, but they were pretty quickly squashed. And it's in that mm -hmm. context that what was going on in Syria. So people, as you as you mentioned, these people were they were they were spraying graffiti on the walls. They were coming out to protest, and it was then that the that the regime actually stopped them immediately. Exactly, and um, I mean it's important to mention that the resistance has been happening all the time, like it never stopped. But it was led by intellectuals and it was led by uh, journalists, by thinkers, by uh, philosophers, mm. by writers. So it was kind of more elite um, um, mm. kind of resistance against the regimes. So and it was happening not very strong. It was not pu public. And number one, number two, it was under the surface. So it's not like more media or more public attention in terms of media because there was the media in the Middle East, all of it, no exception, is controlled by the governments mm -hmm. and the regimes and the, the, the kings and the emirs, you know, so they, we don't have really independent free media. So when the social media came into the world, uh, it, it, give, it gives platform for all these small ideas to be united in one place. And these small ideas become bigger and bigger and bigger and more impact 
and more influence on the ordinary people, not only on the, as I said, on the educated, no, on the ordinary people, on the farmer, the teacher, everybody. So these messages went through to these people. And this is when the start, the change started to happen. So when it started in Tunisia, as I said, it wasn't sudden, like, oh, out of the blue, no, it, it was, there was a struggle before that, but the social media made it um, more united, more united movement. So we have it in Tunisia and then um, it was like people started to breathe. Yeah. They said, it's finally, you know, finally, after all what is what we are going through, finally there is a hope or there is a light and that we can we can start a new a new reformation a new country a new hope, and uh, started in Tunisia and then Egypt, but none of these starts and even any of the countries were actually uh, kind of without blood. So Arab people they paid uh, for that. You know they were in Tunisia in Egypt bloody conflict many people were killed and then we if you go if we go to bahrain for example and and like algeria all of these countries but eventually tunisia made it for example egypt struggled and now it is struggling a lot um algeria now it is making like recently we can see um because of the peaceful resistance they finally managed to find a layout, but what I would admire as well, the Sudanese, um, the Sudanese um, like revolution and mm. uprising, they were unbelievable, like persist and, and, and trying not to use any violence, you know, like they mm. used social media and they said, no, we're gonna, we're gonna change the regime and they did eventually. And now it is, it is going on the same way. It's important to, to mention as well that change doesn't come just like that, you know, it, it will take time. I think any yeah. revolution, like even if you go and, and analyze the French revolution, the outcome and the positive outcome didn't come from day and night. They struggled years and years and years to what we see right now. Ireland claim we took 800 years for us to get out. Exactly. And, we're <laughs> and some would say we're still looking for it. So it, yeah, <laughs> I would say it's very similar to what's happening like in the Middle East. It's not like by, 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 like just a blink or whatever, it's going to change to a positive. No, it will. Yeah, it's not like you trend on Twitter with a hashtag and then that's it. Absolutely not. But but what I would say here to focus on Syria, Syria uh, was different to what to all these countries. Mm, I remember that at the very start, people were shocked about how forceful exactly. the regime was to respond to it. It's different as well because of... I'd say main three reasons. The first one is the fabric, as I said, of the Syrian society. More diverse. It's extremely diverse. Number one. Number two, it's the geolocation of Syria. It's between um, really sensitive area, Lebanon, for example, mm -hmm. and Iraq. And then we have as well the occupied Golan Heights or Israel, extremely sensitive um, region uh, in in the whole world, and you know, Turkey, it's the, Turkey in the north, exactly, yeah. and Turkey in the north. So the location of Syria as well um, is very important. And the last one is the nature of the Syrian government and the Syrian regime. It is not, it's not new regime. It's embedded for years and years. So there is a huge like deep state like under the surface, it's not easy to get rid of. Like, like the other um, government, for example, in the, in the Middle East, the Syrian, the nature of the Syrian government as, and the system is different to others. Mm -hmm. So how would you define then what's going on in Syria? Uh, uprising, civil war, conflict, humanitarian crisis, all of the above? I think that is really important question. And mm -hmm. I... I and I really talk, talk a lot, like really take time to think of it, but I refuse to say it's civil war. Right. Because it's not civil war yet. Right. Now, when I, when I would like to compare it, for example, if we say Rwanda and the Rwanda where Hutu attacked, it was genocide against Tutsi. But at that time, neighbors attacked neighbors. So it was civil, two civil societies in conflict with each other. 
and let's say Ireland, pro-treaty and anti-treaty. And there was as well like kind of um, um, two groups where they are kind of equal in a way or another, but they are opposing. In Syria, we don't have this. We don't have a group of civil society attacking another group of civil society. We have people demanding um, freedom. And we have yeah. government uh, like cracking down and stopping this violently. So we, this is the aspect. Now, I would describe it as a proxy war in Syria. I wouldn't say Syrian war or Syrian conflict because actually it's not purely Syrian. Mm -hmm. It is proxy war between all these factors. We're going to talk about them maybe later uh, inside Syria. But if, if you really want to give me what I would say what's what's happening, I'd say this is an example of the failure of the international community. If you mm. want to really see where the international community fail, Syria is an example to see. Can you give example of those failures? Of course, like from the start, um, nobody, like we saw that there was a serious uh, support to what's happening, number one or a serious support to stop what is happening. So there was f fueling the conflict, but we didn't see um, a really united international community, um, realistic as well, to say, hey, we're not going to let this happen or continue. Let's all be united and we can stop it. Believe me, at the start, by political pressure, but by realistic political pressure and to know who to talk to, they could have done it, but it was too late. Now at this stage, it's too late, you know, with political pressure. However, at the start, uh, that should be happened. Second, uh, like helping Syrian refugees, for example. This is another like failure. If you see the situation in neighboring countries is, is just beyond imagination. So I thought at the beginning, especially Europe, United European Union, the West, America and other powers, they looked at Syria as, oh, it's far from us. So it's not our business. Let them fight. But actually, after that, we saw the refugees knocking the door mm -hmm. of Europe. Who paid the price mm -hmm. then? Yeah, you know? made a big so, impact in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that was a huge mistake from the start, from oh, the international community. The international community did get involved in another conflict. We actually, we, we completely forgot to mention Libya as part of, it was another country mm -hmm. part of the, the Arab Spring that turned violent very quickly, but they did get involved with military force and political force. And made it worse. And made it worse. Exactly. That's so, why we don't want political, we don't want like more military uh, um, interference. And I'm totally against it. But every time at the start, if there was a leadership, when they tell that it, there is, Something is gonna, is gonna is going wrong. Something is gonna happen. Let's all be united and let's solve it peacefully at the start. Mm. Of course they could, yeah. but now to talk politics right now or you know, to solve it in in more it's it's kind of really more complex. But they left it at the start and yeah. now they are paying the price. And we are, to be honest, not they. Syrians are paying the price yeah, first of, of all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we mentioned refugees. Yeah. I think the number is currently at like 6.5 million displaced. Yeah. That was like earlier this year. So it could potentially be more. And that's just externally. I think there's like 5.5 million internally within Syria. Absolutely. Who've been half, displaced. Like gargantuan numbers. Like I'd, half of Syrians left their homes. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's just like unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I think when you, you mentioned it was 20, over 20 million. And then if you add up to Richie's two numbers, that's more than half. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. Um, Jordan... Is, there more, is it true there's more Syrians now in Jordan than there are Jordanese? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say in Jordan, it's not like that. Around 600,000 Syrian refugees. And, and in Jordan, there is the biggest refugee camp in the world. Because there was already Palestinians there too. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. And now like Syrians uh, in, in, in Zahtari camp, for example, it's the biggest camp it's essentially in a the city. world. Yeah. Absolutely. Believe me, it's a city. They have businesses. Wow. They like generate money. Wow. People have been born there and raised there. Oh, probably, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's like that. But, but the issue, another big problem in Lebanon. So Lebanon, around 4 million. And between Palestinian and Syrian refugees, 
in combined around one million and a half or maybe they they get to two million people living in Lebanon, Ref- Syrian refugees and Palestinian. And the economy is really deteriorating in Lebanon. But they they have been um, targeted by really systematic hate speech. And especially in the recent period of time, the recent weeks. especially and, it, and the funny or the sad thing, I'd say, it was led by the foreign minister of Lebanon. Like... Uh, Asking Syrian refugees to go home, um, asking go home exactly <laughs> asking them to to not to take the jobs of Lebanese, oh, asking them to stop going to certain places. Even in Lebanon, in some areas, you can see Syrian is not allowed to walk after eight. That's horrible. Wow. For example, so they are really struggling in Lebanon, and in Turkey, I'd say their situation a little bit better, but still. Not perfect, of course, is still. Not ideal at all. But no. I would like to mention the most important one is Greece. The um, situation of Syrian refugee, not only Syrian, but I'd say refugee camps in general in Greece, I, appalling, appalling, appalling. Can, you, can appalling. you go a little bit further into that? They are stuck in, in camps. They are not even camps. They are like literally tents. And uh, they they can't work. Uh, children can't go to education and they are in a limbo. Like I know people, they have been living in the refugee camp now for four years. You've been there. I've been there, yeah. Mm. So they've been four years and they have nothing. Their children are not in school. And just to clarify, actually, sorry, you've been there because you went to visit it from Ireland, not because you you, you had to go through there yourself. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I went, yeah, to to, to help, Mm. to help refugees in 2015 and 2016. So the situation is appalling. Um, Like food, in terms of food, in terms of of safety, in terms of uh, freedom of movement, they are absolutely locked in, in these refugee camps. And and I, Greek islands, isn't it? Greek yeah. islands, Samos, mm. uh, Kos, uh, Lesbos, all mm. these islands. You know, the situation is crazy and the number is increasing and nobody is doing anything to solve it. Um, and really, I'm telling you, this should be solved as soon as possible because it's not yeah. right. And it's, it's not right to see these people. They've been trapped in these refugee camps and I can't leave, you know? So this definitely should be solved. Yeah, especially if they don't have access to education and and basic human needs. How are you supposed to be able to like elevate yourself out of that without any sort of external help? Yeah, and there's no... And if that help's not there. And there's no um, kind of hope for the future. They don't know, you know, like that's the problem. They don't know if they are staying or they are leaving, but they've been four years now. So it is really, really tough situation for them. And and like, for example, in Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey. Yeah, I mean, the, the, these governments as well, you know, the countries are, are tired countries. But when it's when when it come to Europe is is really prosperous. Prosperative and and strong countries, strong economies. Oh, we we did an ep- episode on refugees, and I believe this that was if Europe opened itself up to all of the refugees currently who are looking to, for, to make new lives in Europe, the population of Europe wouldn't even rise by a percent. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's like the scale of of, of absolutely. That. And and there there are many ways to help. You know, there are many ways, and and I'd say honestly. The most important help is to make Syria safe again. Exactly, because these and people, to make people don't go. Want, they're not coming to Europe because they want to go to Europe. They're coming to Europe because they can't go anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. like, let's say Syrians in Lebanon, they mm. will be going to Syria straight away. They want to go home. Or Jordan, mm. or or they are like really humiliated, you mm. know, in these countries. Do you want to live in this? No, of course not. They want to go back. Because it sounded really nice before the conflict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we, we should mention ISIS because this is another thing that people probably would have heard about an awful lot in the news. Um, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria is the name that we're going to use for them here. But of course, they've got loads of other ones. ISIL and I don't know, loads of other ones. Oh, yeah, Daesh. Daesh. <laughs> would one, be yeah. maybe the best uh, way to describe them. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, uh, it's like the, the Arabic, like for example, you take the first letters in English, in Arabic, we don't do it, but only for ISIS they did it, and it sounded like when you say it, it it's meaningless. But it's so not nice in pronunciation. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like really it's exactly. So now people like in, in, in it's used a lot this term Daesh in Arab um, countries and Arab media in general. 
So these guys were essentially opportunists. Absolutely. They seen the conflict going on in Syria. They they realised that they could organise themselves and try and essentially take territory and set up an Islamic caliphate. Is that the correct term? Yeah. Like, I'm going to say pretty evil stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah, mm -hmm. like proper oppression of women, proper um, destruction of minorities and they they don't agree with having ancient temples in their territory because they think that they're evil gods and they need to be gone. Mm-mm-mm. So basically bad, bad dudes. So can you just take us through what 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 it was like when they started to get involved? So um I mean that maybe the beginning beginning of it was in Iraq mm. and it came after the fall of Saddam uh, Hussein um like uh, ruling in Iraq uh, after the American invasion. So this is that maybe the early, early stages of Islamic State. Um, In 2014, this is when, because the conflict between um, the Syrian government and then the opposition, um, it was so bloody and it created vacuum in in the region. So they took advantage of that. And they kind of, they they had at that time um, a way of communicating with people on social media mm. and like communication mm. with people. And this is how they recruited. A twisted version of what we were talking about earlier, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. This is how they recruited, they, how they convinced and their messages and um, like were kind of um, the glory of, of mm. religion, glory of Islam. Right. You are, we are um, bringing back the reality of Islam to the, to this world. They also... Make the Middle East great again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they used as well something uh, like the techniques they used are really scary. Mm. The songs, for example, uh, in Arabic, the songs they used with their propaganda videos, like really strong Arabic words, you know, like like really, like let's say when you say Shakespeare, like beautiful words, right? Mm. They try to use this act aspect of the Arab language, so it's like really powerful and and strong. They also um, they uh, used their own interpretation of Islam. They interpreted right. the religion the way no, but like I was like, what are you talking about? It doesn't <laughs> exist. But they that they took part of it, they said, oh, it means like that and we are applying. You know, we are applying what we are saying. We are not doing anything from our mind. With guns. We're going to apply yeah, with guns. Exactly. Yeah. So this is, they, <laughs> they kind of, they took advantage of all of these. And besides, at that time, there was, like I'd say, Turkey, the borders with Turkey were kind of open and and jihadists from from across the world. From everywhere, from from the UK, from, from France, Ireland. from everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they were like going to Turkey and then from Turkey, like very small um, camps and then they straight away go to fighting. At that time, there wasn't like really Islamic State. So they were fighting with different groups. But then Islamic State came into the stage with a strong message and uh, uniting every, all most of the jihadists together and they started... So it, it was state. a successful recruitment drive at the start, yes, because they yeah. used they were as as you mentioned they took advantage they used uh, the idea of fighting the Syrian regime and Syrian government they used the idea of fighting, for example, non-Islamic non-Arabs, Kurdish, for example. So they used all of these um, um, ideas to rec- to recruit people, and then eventually this is. Uh, the new um, Khalifa, the new state where where everybody will live equally. This is their propaganda. They're equally mm-hmm. and uh, everybody, regardless of your ethnicity, you are as long as you are Muslim, Sunni, you are equal, etc. So extremely dangerous mind. So only equal if you're exactly what they want you to exactly. be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> A very specific yeah. type of equal <laughs> because there's no one else yeah. left. Exactly, you are yeah. equal if you are exactly like uh, very specific, and if you are a man. Right. So of you know, <laughs> this like kind of extremely dangerous at that time and shocking to the Syrians because, sure. 
like in Syria, even the Islam in Syria is very moderate Islam. It's not like the Saudi Arabia version. Sure. It's very moderate. It's it's mixed with the culture of Syria, with other cultures. So it's actually like really beautiful. Um, like in, some, and, in a lot of regions, they didn't wear head, headscarves. Oh, yeah, like yeah, stuff, yeah, exactly. Like it's really kind of, it's more cultural Islam. Okay. Yeah. But this came to make it more, more doctors, more uh, organized, more directed. And it's something shocking for the Syrians because we've never had it. We've, we don't know what these people are coming from, yeah. what their ideology. But the sad thing that Syria was now stamped or Syrians, like if you take when you mention Syria, like with, with a way or another, you will as well remember Islamic State. Unfortunately, That's so yes. sad, so sad. Because yeah, they essentially sponsored terrorists to start to attack the West. And that's when really the West took notice, I guess, if you want to call it. Exactly. Like, if you want to say it like that. So um, I, I don't even want to start listing them out, but we all know all the different no. attacks that have been happening yeah. over the last few years. And everyone will always, in the conversations about those attacks on the West, tie it back to they're coming from Syria or northern Iraq, as yeah. it was at the time. So... Um, what in the in terms of the timeline mm. of the, um, the the conflict in Syria, where does the rise of ISIS fit in with the timeline? So I'd say in two, like mainly 2014, because especially they could uh, they took control of uh, uh, Raqqa. So mm. Raqqa was their de facto capital, and um, like at that time, some of the Islamic opposition were controlling the region, but then uh, they started to fight against Islamic State. In, in a way or another, they withdrew and Islamic State control um, Raqqa and some areas in east um, um, of Syria. So that was maybe the, the top of it where they established kind of a state where they have their own currency, their own uh, media arms, their own like trying to make it like kind of um, a functioning mm. Uh, place. So that was mainly 2014 in Syria and started to grow and grow. But then we saw um, after that, uh, the international community were united at this stage uh, and where there was a decision was made to attack Islamic State. And that's maybe the start of falling of Islamic State yeah. in Syria. It's true to say that they're not really an active force anymore. Is that correct? In Syria? Uh, it's not. No, it's not. However, they still control part of mm. Syria, especially east of, um, sorry, west of Derzor. So they control really big number of land. This land, however, is desert. It's not um, livable. Mm. There's no people living there, but it's main, But it's a huge land, big land. And um, they are carrying attacks every now and then, but still not functioning at all like before. I'd say, yeah, from the last battle from uh, Islam against Islamic State in Derzor was, I'd say, this is really the fall of Islamic State. Can mm. we briefly talk about the Kurds? Um, you've mentioned them already. They're, they were people in Syria, were they mo mostly based up around the north? Uh, actually, Kurds in Syria, the, yeah, I mean, ma mainly in the northeast, but as well, they live everywhere, everywhere. because they are our like, people, sure. you know, they are like Syrians. So they live across Syria. And it's important to know that actually in the Syrian history, before 1971, we had four Kurdish presidents. Oh, really? Yeah, we have uh, Muhammad Ali Al-Abid, the first president of Syria. And then we have Hosni Zaim, uh, Fawzi Sello, and Adib Shishakli. So they were all Kurdish um, and they ruled Syria for a while. And the Kurdish community, like really um, enriching the Syrian culture. However, they were really systematically uh, targeted in a way um, they were not allowed to get their nationality although they were born in Syria and they live in Syria but part like big part of them not everybody but big part of them especially people living in east north of Syria they were not allowed to get a Syrian nationality or a Syrian passport oh, really? they were not giving this right number one number two um, they were not allowed to practice their language so it just be, no schools. to give people context, they're, they're, they're not Arabic, they're Kurdish. It's like a separate yeah. ethnicity with separate language, but uh, still Muslim. Uh, yeah. no, I, no, it's more than that. Like more It's more that. complex. I wouldn't say they are uh, separate ethnicity. Like the region is all similar. Okay. So we are all connected in a way or another. 
okay and uh, some of them are muslims some of them are would be different uh, ethnicity you know uh, sorry or religion mm. so not uh, not kurdish are one religion as well and big part of them as well they are secular you know so it's not only one religion so it's like arab people you know sure. arab could be muslim yeah. and arab could be christian so and arab could be sometimes uh, like different religion and they could be secular mm-hmm. so ethnicity it doesn't for example connect with the uh, religion okay. or 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 sect you have and easier ways is a kurdish people yeah as opposed definitely. to Arab people yeah okay. so like they have they had applied so and there was discrimination in terms of work in terms of practicing their language and their culture and they were not allowed to get their like kurdish schools etc so this was really like um kind of violations against them and and like across the whole like they were part as well of the Syrian uprising because they wanted a change like anybody else Mm -hmm. any Syrian they want we want to be equal that's all everybody equal we have um, freedom of speech we can practice our culture practice our language what's the problem Mm. you know what's and was their positioning peaceful absolutely what's that threat there's no threat if mm-hmm. you are practicing, like even in Ireland, we have like like schools or or cultural center where people they have, for example, their um, like Polish uh, cultural mm. night. What's the problem? It's beautiful to see. Yeah. So whereas and that region, like they were kind of really systematically targeted in this, um, and then when the revolution started, they were part. Definitely part of the uprising um, in Syria, and but it's important to note that Kurdish, they are not all united. No, right. because for example, the Kurdish in Iraq, in Kurdistan, Iraq, Masoud Barazani, for example, the leader of the Kurdish uh, party, uh, they are different in political stand to the Kurdish in Syria, and even the Kurdish in Syria as as well not on in line together. Right. So it's kind of not only one... It's never straightforward. No, no exactly. Not, not one um, group. They are all agree with the same th- same thing. Now, for example, the Kurdistan Iraq and, and Masoud Barazani and his party, they are good relation with Turkey. Mm. Whereas we see a different one in Syria. They are not. And the Syrians one with the Iraqis one. So there is kind of conflict. It's like as well Arab conflict, you know. So it's not, not everybody, they have... The, um, the right relation with each other. So it's as well complex situation with them. Um, but um, like in general, uh, they were, as I said, part of the revolution and and they they wanted like anybody else to have the right to practice their, their ethnicity, their language and their culture. Would it be correct to say that now that they control quite a significant portion and, and would basically be running that part of Syria now? Yeah, absolutely. They control east, north of Syria, most of it. And this region as well is the richest part mm-hmm. of Syria where the oil fields and the uh, phosphor resources of Syria are based in this region and as well wheat because wheat as well is national resource for Syria. So they control right. these two big uh, national resources. Um, so, and uh, yeah, they, they just um, control this region. And um, I'd say they now supported definitely by the US yeah. and some international mm. powers like France and Germany. So mm-hmm. we're talking about in- international meddling. Exactly. Yeah. Is it correct to say that Russia and Iran then would back the Assad regime? Absolutely. So um, it's important to know that as well, Russia doesn't pack the Syrian reg- uh, regime and government just for packing them. Absolutely not. They have their own interest in the, in Syria and they are fighting their interests. They have a naval base, is that correct? Exactly, before, before anything mm. else, because the, uh, Syria give, gives them the only access to warm waters which the Mediterranean mm. and they will they don't want to lose it no because Russia is very cold they need some warm exactly. water <laughs> <laughs> they will fight to keep this to keep this access to the region so it's it's in the middle of the Mediterranean so that's maybe the main reason why we see this um, sure. like like really trying to interfere in the Syrian when war when it started I guess you could say that Putin seen what was happening and he's like well if 
a sad falls, I might lose my port. So he's like, I'm not going to let that happen yeah, 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 from that, the start. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the main reason, mm. you know, for everybody interfering in Syria. They have their interests. It's not like for Syrian people no, at all. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. So we have this and then uh, they are controlling the sky of Syria, part of Syria, not all the sky part of Syria because other part is controlled by the US. So we have this and then of course the interference of Iran um, and then we have the inter- interference of uh, places from Syria from Lebanon, like areas from Lebanon like Hezbollah for example. So we have three main um, uh, active um, groups uh, on the ground of Syria and then we have Turkey Mm-hmm. Turkey now is backing the Syrian opposition in north of Syria, northwest, mainly northwest of Syria. And they have forces on the ground as well. So it's not only packing, they have forces on the ground. So we have Syria, Russia, Iran um, and and uh, uh, Hezbollah on one hand, Turkey in another hand. And then we have the um, America, France, Germany, on another hand, so this kind of directly involved in the conflict inside Syria. Mm. But we have Saudi Arabia, we have Qatar, we have as well other Arab countries who are interfering indirectly by funding some groups and some opposition groups in general, and even like across across the groups mm. in Syria. This is this must be like extra sore. To, to talk about seeing as you know you mentioned earlier that one of the this is a, a failing of the international community to to not like step in and help out and here we're talking about a huge global scale of international meddling uh, yeah like of, but but not but just directed in a really unhelpful absolutely. way absolutely because these as I said like they don't want the benef- benefits of Syrian people they don't care what Syrian people want what they care it's the proxy war you mentioned and they are just um, showing power for like yeah. especially between the two powers uh, US and and then we have the uh, Russians literally showing power mm. and on the Syrian land um, and we have other like Turkey and Saudi Arabia and then we have other Iran. other co- and definitely Iran, Iran versus Saudi Arabia absolutely all yep. so all of these you know like they are kind of not I'm not gonna give up this and I'm not gonna give up this because I don't want you I don't want to be seen as I'm failing in Syria so it's like really proxy war and mm. we Syrians we don't have a voice in it I'm, I'm really really sad thing to see even yeah. now if we say let's, we are Syrians here let's sit on one table and solve our problems we can't because we are not allowed to so right the table's filled with lots Absolutely. of international people yeah. <laughs> yeah. is peace possible? Of course, of course it is possible, uh, but it's not easy. Okay, so it, you need to, to work hard for it. I think as long as Syrians realize that nobody wants the benefit and of Syria except Syrians, yeah. number one. Number two, it is important to have our own decisions on that and forget our differences between Syrians because the Syrian society is unbelievable diverse, not sorry, diverse, divided mm. right now. Yeah, so, it, unfortunately. Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's so divided between um, pro, anti, anti, bro, with or against. It's very polarized and it is, it is understandable because of the uh, sensitivity of the conflict and how violent the conflict was. So what mm-hmm. we need to to know to do now is to have transitional peace and a transitional justice. It is important. As long as we, this is a, a transitional peace and justice within the anti-Assad groups or, or across the board. Across the board, mm. you know, like and transitional justice. This is important because what happened in Syria there there were there were people responsible Criminals. and there were. Yeah, and contributed to this. This should be... War crimes. Yeah, And they should be uh, in court, number one. When we have it, that's that's a very good step to, to go for peace. And second, no matter what we, what we try, if we don't have democratic mm-hmm. elections, we will never have really stable state. Yeah. Are there parallels between the peace process in Northern Ireland to what could be applied to Syria maybe in the future? 
you know, like Good Friday Agreement, mm-hmm. believe me, I think it is an example that we can use in Syria. But part of the Good Friday Agreement, unfortunately, was not prosecuting the war criminals. They had to get a free pass. But in Syria, the violence and the and the level of brutality was much higher. Was un- yeah. and this, yeah. like it's indescribable. Mm. Okay, it's it's something yeah. beyond imagination, beyond comprehense. Th- that's why, like, and besides, this is not only a Syria. It's just more than that. It's affected the whole world. Is is that yeah. why Assad and his people won't give in? Do you think? Could be part of it, definitely. Because like, then they'll be held accountable. Absolutely. Like, so, and not only them. So this is a huge part of why they are. Um, like connected to the to the power, mm. because this is big reason of it, and and as well why the some part of the opposition as well they don't wanna. Oh uh, wow, yeah, that's a good so point. So it's all of all of them. They don't want to lose it because they know that they are accountable of of yeah. uh, of crimes of destroying Syria. So it's across across the 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 fighting groups in Syria. They don't wanna. Any solution because they will be number one to be questioned and targeted. Yeah. Is it possible that Syria won't be the same country in 20 years' time? Um, you know what? Maybe it's it's hard to say, but I really believe in the Syrian people. And I really yeah. believe because like it's it's more it's more political than any other religion or ethnicity it's it's more than that you know it's really different conflict and i believe that and it's even from our history uh syrians resurrect from nothing we have yeah. many occupations uh against our country and we some cities were grounded that was even before this war grounded they don't ha- they, they didn't exist and then people rebuild these cities again and people um coexist again and they live together again and so it was part of our history that we fail and then stand up and then um make really better progress and then we fail again i believe there will be um really s- strong challenges but i still think that we are going to make it eventually. We are going to live together again and rebuild and, and yeah. be successful as individuals because Syrian as individual people and culture and society, regardless of the politics, uh, they are really successful people and, and they have innovative ideas, new, new visions, yeah. all, all of that. And we see them now. We see great examples of them when they come to Europe, how successful they are and how... You're an example. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Like they right are here. really great. So hopefully, definitely in the future, it's, it's as I said, it's really difficult, but I think we're going to make it. Razan, the, the, what you talked about at the start was this gorgeous, beautiful image of, of, of a wonderful country with wonderful people all living together. And it feels like those ingredients are there. Absolutely. And they and and these ingredients they are not uh, new, so they are not like a hundred no. years ago. They are seven, eight thousand. It's not like the Americans inventing exactly. countries a couple of hundred years ago. Syria's been fecking there for a long time. Exactly, yeah, long exactly. time. And and we can. We've always lived together, and we can. And we we definitely we can still live together, and we should. We have no other option. You know, either we make it or break Absolutely. it. Do you know what? I did not know how we were going to end this episode on anything but a bad thing, but that sounds like a really good way to end it because that sounds really hopeful. <laughs> Rizan, you saved us. That was amazing. Rizan, you are a perfect absolutely. embodiment of thank all those wonderful you. things you talked about. And thank you for, for sharing your perspective with us. It's been absolutely thank wonderful. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thank Where you. Where can people follow what your, your work and what's going on? So I have um, my uh, Twitter account, my Instagram account, Rizan Ibrahim. And um, I'm like, like this is mainly uh, where my work and uh, recently um, I am doing collaborative project with Irish uh, with uh, Irish and uh, Dutch artist uh, Anita wow. Gornier in lab lab, uh, lab um, um, in in Dublin one okay yeah and so mm-hmm. we are doing collaborative project mm. part of it is about uh, um, like really about Syria and it's called Moments. Will this be an exhibition soon? Uh, it is now. Oh, it is, it is now. running it's now. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's opening but uh, but hopefully it will last for a little bit while. So yeah, this is one of the things that 
um, I worked on, it will be in different uh, cities in Ireland and maybe it will travel around as well. Fantastic. Yeah. We'll be sure. Amazing. We'll, we'll, that we'll, we'll add links to yeah, that in the show notes you. so people can check that out. <laughs> thank you so much. Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much, Rasan. This is absolutely thank spectacular. You. Thank you. See, wasn't I right? Wasn't that good? That was really good. Yeah. She's great. She is brilliant. Um, she told everyone where you can follow her, so make sure you go and follow her. Yes, that's going to be in the show notes, the links to her art project and all of her social presence. Yeah. If you're in Dublin, there's no better way to say thank you for all the great information that she gave than going to appreciate her art collaborations. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's it. I think we're running a little bit over. Let's wrap it up. Okay. What, what do we get people to do usually? Uh, go on to Apple Podcasts and give yeah. us five stars because you love us and we love you for doing that. Um, Please do. I know. Look, I know we always say this. But it really, really, really helps. And if you haven't done it yet, please, it'll literally take... How long would it, do you think it'll take, Steve? 18 seconds? Yeah, just about 18 years or so, it's grand. 18, <laughs> depending how intricate that review is. But please, it really does help. Yes. Uh, what else? There's the, the Kofi. Yep, give us money if you want to. If you want to, we'll give you a bonus episode in return. It's very yep. good. My mother gave us... Uh, she bought us each a pint and she talked about the tantric sex on that. So you can go to the Kofi page and see the message <laughs> if you want. And while you're there, give us some money yourself and leave a funny message. That'd be great. We'd love that. Follow us on at one on politics on Twitter and on Instagram at one on politics at gmail.com. Yes. Get in contact. Yes. Uh, speaking of the Gmail, we got an email a while back that um, the salute, the opening salutation was Hi, Steve and Steve's co host. <laughs> was that still, was still that not a, over that? Was that a reference to a gag we had before in the show or was the guy just being a fantastic prick? I don't know. If it's a gag, I don't remember the <laughs> gag. <laughs> well, we got to get him on anyway. Whoever he is, he's fantastic. <laughs> I love him. Yeah, of course you would say <laughs> that. Steve and Steve's co-host. Okay, Steve's yeah. co-host. Are you ready to sign off? <sighs> yes, master. <laughs> yes. Okay, it's uh, they're at number 67 in that BJ line, so... Oh, got to go. Oh, I'm running away. Boris, no! <laughs> This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.